Thank you for your word. I pray that you will enlighten our eyes to be in awe of you because we are studying Genesis 1. In your name, amen. Well, I'm sure none of you have been guilty of doing the silent treatment uh, with your husband if you're married. Uh, a man and his wife were having some problems at home and were giving each other the silent treatment. Suddenly, the man realized that the next day he, he needed his wife to make sure he was up because he had a 5 a.m. flight for a business trip. But not wanting to be the first to break the silence and lose, uh, he wrote on a piece of paper, please wake me up at 5 a.m., and he left it where he knew she would find it. And the next morning, he woke up, and it was 9 a.m., and he missed his flight, and he was furious. He was about to go speak to his wife why she didn't wake him up, and he noticed a piece of paper by his bed. It said, it's 5 a.m., wake up. <laughs> Men are not equipped for these kinds of contests, is how that goes. Oh, I have some good creation. Well, Adam and Eve story's coming, but at any rate... For next week. So, in the years uh, past, Ancestry.com has been such a big success because people really do desire to know where they've come from. And they're interested in what countries their ancestors came from, and oftentimes they can find documents with some personal information. And it does make a difference to know where you've come from. One author put it this way, if our past history tells us that we have emerged from slime, that we are only grown-up germs. What difference can it make whether we are black germs, white germs, free germs, enslaved germs? Who cares? We can sing of the dignity of man, but unless that is rooted substantially and what has intrinsic value, all of our songs of human rights and dignity are just whistling in the dark. They are naive, simplistic, and credulous. If all you have is the present, there is no dignity. It's only nothingness, end of quote. Well, Genesis is so critical because it is vital in giving us information concerning the origin of all things. And therefore, the meaning of all things is really found in this book. The future is bound up in the past, and what you believe concerning the origin of creation will direct your life belief and purpose. To believe and understand the book of Genesis is really a prerequisite to grasp the truth about God and his meaning to people. Without this book of the Bible, it would be like seeing the last act of a play without getting to see the first act. And for the Jewish people in particular, the author is Moses writing this, and they are probably about to enter the land of promise like we studied last year in the book of Joshua. But how did they get there? What brought them to that place? So Moses was giving them the history of God's creation and giving them that understanding that it is God who made them as people. He is superior in every way to the gods of the people that they're going to go in and conquer. The word Genesis means origin. The book of Genesis then gives us the only true and reliable account of the universe, of order and complexity, of the solar system, the atmosphere, the hydrosphere, of life, of man, death, marriage, evil, language, government, culture, nations, religion, and Israel. If we did not have the book of Genesis, there would be no explanation for all of these things and no explanation for the nation of Israel or any un way to understand the Old Testament. It is not surprising then that there is such a great attack on the first 11 chapters of this book. These chapters have the greatest influence on the New Testament. Therefore, we must never think that this is book just a study to fill in a semester at Bible study. From our study in these chapters, we will have understanding of the true basis of human hatred and depravity and why mankind mistreats mankind. 
not the other uh, warped views that our culture is trying to convince us of. If you know your roots in human history, it will impact how you live today and how you respond to the rest of the Word of God. Genesis is a foundational book. As you know, the first 11 chapters are critical. They deal with the world, nations, and as I said, gives us the foundation for everything. Genesis 1.1 is the foundational verse of the chapter and of the book and really of the whole Bible. These are the first words ever written. And if a person believes these first few words, they will not find it difficult to believe anything else recorded in Scripture. If God really did create all things, then he has control of all the things he created and he can do all things. Every false system of belief from atheism to humanism to evolution is refuted in the first verse of the Bible. It is amazing how God-centered this first chapter of Genesis is. His name is mentioned 32 times. And if you add the personal pronouns, it's closer to 43. So though we live in a world that has chosen to deny all the facts that we are looking at in Genesis 1, the truth is still the truth. If the Holy Spirit cannot be trusted to give us the inspired account of creation, how can he be trusted when he speaks about how we can experience and have salvation? If what God says about the earth in Genesis is not trustworthy, why would anyone believe what God says in, through the scriptures about heaven in Revelation 22? You can't pick and choose what you're going to believe from God's word. So the lies being taught to our children and youth for over a century now are reaping their sad results. If only the strong survive, then why not be a bully? If we only emerge from slime or an atom or a cell, then we're not accountable to anyone, really, for our actions. Why would you obey or respect any authority in your life if we all come from nothing and none of us are made in the image of our great creator? And the thinking then is you're not accountable to anybody. You don't have to answer for your behavior. Why would you treat people with honor and respect when they're totally different from you in every way if you just all came from nothing? If God has not made people, then they have just emerged by chance and will all be gone by chance. Enter the whole woke movement and the critical race theory of today, blaming people for the evil done just because of the color of their skin. You have to understand the reason why there is hatred in the human heart is because every human heart is born evil, <laughs> separated from God, consumed with self, in rebellion to everything God is and says. For all of these reasons and many more, it is so important to study the scriptures, even when we have studied something like this in the past. And I have to say at the get-go for the whole semester that much of what I share, well, if you know me, you know I'm not an intellectual. So I'm just a common, my daughter's laughing. <laughs> she knows. <laughs> but much of what I share simply comes from my extensive reading and study of so many great theologians um, that I have numerous resources. I have a, a heavy library of options to be studying and reading. So I look at it as I'm doing the legwork for you. Maybe you can't set aside eight hours to study for this chapter, but I'm trying to do that and just walking you through what I learn. So the creation of the world. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. So God, I'm going to just take the first few words, not in order, but just their key words. God being one. The first time we see his divine name in Hebrew is Elohim. 
This is the name for God that stresses his majesty and his omnipotence. This is the name for God used throughout the first chapter of the book of Genesis. It is plural. It is a plural name with a singular meaning. So clearly suggesting in the very start the plurality of the Godhead. Created is the Hebrew word for bara or bara, and it's used only of the work of God. Only God can create. Only he can call into existence things that never existed before. Hebrews 11.3 says, The worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. People can make things, people can form things, but they cannot create something out of nothing. God in creation spoke into existence material that never existed before except in his own mind. And he alone has the power to create. In Genesis 1.1, we learned that the physical universe was spoken into existence simply by God speaking it. God alone is infinite. He alone is eternal. And because of the fact that God is omnipotent and powerful, he is unable to call the universe into existence. There is a scientific law of cause and effect that says random particles of matter could not by themselves generate a complex, orderly, or intelligent universe, let alone intelligent people. God is the only possible cause to produce this kind of effect. The next word, heaven, can be either singular or plural, depending on the context. It seems to here to speak of, of space and the universe, of space and time. And in the beginning tells us that this is the start of time. Even though the universe had a beginning, just as we read in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The word was already there, therefore he transcends the universe that he created. The purpose of this verse is to tell us about the beginning of all things. When evolution became a popular theory, then some Bible teachers tried to justify the Bible and have it fit better with the new theory in the world of science. And they declared that there has to be then a huge gap between verse 1 and verse 2. We see in Genesis chapter 2, verse 1, that the work of the six days of creation was finished, clearly referring to the six days, uh, including the first day of creation of the heavens and earth. We could spend weeks on theories about creation, but our purpose in a Bible study is always to take the word of God literally and in its normal language and to pull out from the text what's actually there. That's what exegesis means. You don't put in what you think it's saying. You take out what it is saying. We do know from this account that the creation of the universe took, five day, uh, took place five days earlier than the crowning part of his creation, mankind. There is no biblical basis then to insert a gap in time, it, which is only an attempt to accommodate a modern man's theory. This concept was presented back in the early 1900s to try to harmonize biblical chronology with the idea of gaps of huge geological ages, claiming the earth is millions and billions of years old. Millions of years can just fall into some type of gap. We'll just put a gap in the verses at the time of creation. The terrible result, as I've mentioned, is that evolution was introduced to our school systems as fact. I was just watching something on TV last night about... Um, Australia and everything, that's the lens. Everything is from billions of years. That rock was billions of years. That's just the mindset. Like, this is truth. This is fact. 
It was introduced to our schools and has been followed by the masses ever since. I'll tell you, it was a trophy day for Satan that day. Well, the second verse of the Bible says, and the earth was. Now, some people read into this verse and say the earth became in their attempt to justify the gap theory, but there is nothing at all in the context to suggest that it should be translated any other way than what we read. The earth was in a particular state. And what was that state? It was without form and it was void. Some try to say the earth was desolate or ruined or in a chaotic, ruined condition, but it was without form because it was not yet finished in its shape and it was not yet inhabited by creatures. God formed the earth in order for it to be inhabited and what is recorded for us in Genesis gives us the step-by-step that God used to form the unformed earth and the living inhabitants he would put on it. The earth was void of inhabitants It's not saying the earth was desolate, but rather it was empty. The elements which were to be formed into the planet earth were at first only elements. They were not yet formed. They were uh, still had basic matter or dust of the earth. And then darkness upon the face of the deep. Isaiah 45, 7, God says, I form the light and create darkness. The absence of physical light means darkness. Just as the absence of form and inhabitants means a universe not yet complete. There is no evil implied in this verse, as some have said. The expression, uh, the surface of the deep, speaks of the fact that wherever the deep was, there was darkness. We know that later the deep refers to the waters of the ocean. But when the earth had no form yet, this state must apply to the waters as well. Every basic material element was in some type of watery matrix throughout the darkness of space. Proverbs 8:24, we read that God set a compass upon the face of the deep. So there were elements of matter, there were molecules of water, but it was not yet energized. The force of gravity was not yet working. The physical universe had come into existence, but everything was still dark without form. No motion, no light. Then we read the face of the waters again speaks of a presence. And just as the waters were formless like the earth was, they were simply a presence rather than all put together in a cohesive body. That brings us to what happened next. The spirit of God moved. And we see a particular person now of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, as he goes into action. We are told that he was moving over the presence of the waters. He was the prime mover who brought about energy as he moved back and forth. Energy cannot create itself. And so we learn that energy began in the universe from the movement of the spirit of God himself. The result was gravitational forces began and water and earth particles came together to form a perfect sphere. Now it was ready for light and for heat and for life. We are told in 2 Peter 1.21 that God spoke through men and moved them by the Holy Spirit. And that's the same word used here in Genesis 1-2. The Holy Spirit moved to energize the universe and to bring uh, form and life to God's creation. He would later move and empower God's prophets to bring spiritual life to his creation as they were moved to write down the very words of God. That brings us to the six days of creation in verse 3. And as I mentioned, there are some who speak about the day-age theory in an attempt to equate the days of creation with evolution, evolution geology. 
that says everything is billions of year old rocks and so on. This certainly creates all kinds of problems, but we are not left to wonder on our own because the Bible makes it clear that the days of creation, you know, are actually days. When God puts the light in the expanse in verse 14, he says specifically, he put it there for seasons, for days, and for years. So if God wanted to insert billions of years and there was morning and there was evening, the first billion, he would have done it. God knows what he's talking about and he needs to be taken literally. The creation of light and darkness, we read, let there be lights and there was light. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night and there was evening and there was morning one day. So this is the first record of God speaking in the Bible. God said, let there be light. And there was light. The word of God brings light. He is the source of all light. The spirit energizes all things and the word reveals all things to us. So when light appeared, God divided the light from the darkness. God did not remove the darkness. He simply separated it from the light. And God called the light day and the darkness he called it night. Knowing of future misunderstanding, God carefully defined his terms from the very start. The very first time he used the word day, he defined it as light to distinguish it from the darkness, which he called night. This is the same expression used after each of the six days of creation. So it's obvious that the duration of each day included, including the first, was exactly the same. Day was the light time. And God did his work, darkness was the nighttime, and God did no work in the nighttime. It is clear that beginning with the first day, continuing with every day of creation, there was established cycles of day and night, periods of light and periods of darkness. This means that the earth was now rotating on an axis, that there was uh, a source of light on one side of the earth corresponding to the sun, even though it had not yet been made. It's clear that the length of such days could have only been what a normal solar day is. Activated this first day was all the light waves, including ultraviolet light, short wavelength radiation, infrared light. Also, all types of forces of energy were, uh, which interact in the universe, like gravity and nuclear force. I mean, think of the power that's just out in the universe. We're now all activated. We know that God is one, but we see all three persons of the Godhead were all involved in creation. All had a part of it and all continued to maintain it. And although it's not mentioned in Genesis run, it is probably sometimes before the third day of creation that a multitude of angels were created because we're told that they were present when the foundation of the earth was laid in Job 38. So the creation of angels was for the purpose uh, of being a minister t- for God and to minister to the heirs of salvation, according to Hebrews 1.14. So they're called the host of heaven, so they could not have been created before the heavens existed. That brings us to the creation of the expanse as God separates the waters. Then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. And uh, it separated the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse for the waters which were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning a second day. The word expanse or firmament means spread out thinness, literally. God called the firmament heaven. 
It is what we think of when we think of space or atmosphere. And there were two bodies of water that he separated that would be necessary to sustain life. One extended far into space, and as you know, it had the idea of a canopy of water vapor, which made the earth like a hothouse, providing an absolute uniform temperature. I wonder what that was. <laughs> um, the movement of air, and it would have caused a mist to fall uh, and filter out all the ultraviolet rays. We know that people, as we'll be studying Genesis, they lived, you know, 500, 600 years, so it was definitely different at the beginning. We know that prior to the flood, there had never been rain, but a vapor canopy is what sustained life on the earth. The thought of these verses is that on the second day, God created and organized the atmosphere by placing moisture above the earth, and as we continue to go through the days of creation, it's very important to keep in mind that the subject of creation is not just what he created, which we should be in awe of. It's really the creator himself. That's what we need to have as our takeaway. How amazing, how powerful, how deserving of our worship. It's also helpful to remember that it appears that Moses presented creation in such a way that the Israelites would understand that their God is the one true God. He is the mighty God. So when you go into the land of Canaan and you get exposed to all these false gods, remember who your God is. So ladies, as we go through hurricane season, what's left of it, and hope not much, um, or we just see our typical Florida spectacular thunder and lightning storms, we need to worship God, the one who created the atmosphere and the energy out there. This has nothing to do with Mother Nature. Mother Nature gets no credit for this. So the second day, God created the atmosphere and separated the waters on the earth so that they were elevated above the earth and also some remained on the earth's surface. And now there was clouds, now there was air to breathe, and now there was water for life. And that brings us to day three. Then God said, let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place and let dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth. And the gathering of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants, yielding seed, and fruit trees on the earth bearing fruit after their kind and seed in them. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind, trees bearing fruit with seed in them and after their kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. So as God spoke, the surface of the earth changed, and the seas are now brought together into distinct deep basins. Um, and there was great movement that took place so that there was water that would have included now oceans and rivers and lakes. We need to remember that the land masses that we call continents today probably don't look the same as they were at the original creation because when the flood came, which we'll study in our semester, it wasn't just the rain, it was explosions from within the earth. So everything was altered and changed drastically. But God created the seas and the land masses, and he named the seas, uh, he named uh, the seas, and then he named earth. In ancient thinking, the act of giving something a name meant that you were sovereign over that object you just named. So the message to God, from God to us is that he is sovereign over the seas and the earth. He has complete authority over all of it. And unlike the first two days of creation, the third day includes a second act in verses 11 through 13, and that was vegetation on the land. 
For the first time, the land became productive as God put fertile soil on the, on, the, on the earth. And then this vegetation would prepare the way for animals and for human life as well as provision for food. So now there were plants that were producing fruit trees and they had the seeds within them. So God just made them full grown and the seeds in them ready to reproduce. A total contradiction to the theory of evolution that insists that all plants and animals developed over hundreds of millions of years from a single speck in the ocean. Genesis refutes this by dating the creation of marine life after the creation of plant and fruit trees that were already bearing fruit and had seed within them. So the first fruit trees didn't even grow, as I said, from seeds. So, so far we have seen on day one, God created light and day and darkness and night. And for all of you raising children who are often very scared of the dark, it's a great reminder to tell them God created the dark. It was God's idea for there to be darkness. He didn't create it to frighten you. On day two, he created atmosphere as he separated the waters with space. And on the third day, continents and seas and vegetation. He was creating all of this for the inhabitants that he was going to put on the earth. And I want to stop here and give a plug for the amazing uh, Creation Museum in Covington, Kentucky, and the Cincinnati area. There's the Ark, which is the full-sized Ark of Noah's Ark. <clears throat> which is an incredible museum by itself. And then 30 minutes away is the Creation Museum. If you have not gone, you need to make that a priority. It's a 900-mile drive. It's doable in two days. And uh, it will blow your mind as you walk through each day of creation in a museum setting. That leads us to day four. God created the sun and the moon and the stars. Then God said, let there be light in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for a sign for seasons and for days and for years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light to the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater one to govern the day and the lesser to govern the night. And he made the stars also. And it's so amazing that he named them all, everyone. God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and to govern the day and the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. There was evening and there was the morning, a fourth day. So the sun and the moon are the two great lights. The sun for the day, the moon for the night. Now science would differ with this statement. They would say the moon is, is not a great light and they'd say the sun is just a medium star. But from God's perspective, it is the most important because the planet Earth is where God was going to unfold his plan to redeem fallen mankind. The purpose of God creating these lights was to distinguish the day from the night, the seasons of the years, the foundation for calendars and for months and for years. Another reason for the sun, moon, and stars is for signs. They point to the greatness of God. As the psalmist David said, it reminds us, what is man that you are mindful of him? <laughs> reminds us of how small we are. God used the stars, as you recall, to show as a sign that the first coming of Jesus, the Messiah, they came to worship him following a star. Stars and the sun and the moon will be a part of God's judgment as catastrophe happens during the great tribulation period. And also, understanding weather, understanding navigation, that's all been provided by God through using the sun and the moon and the stars. Sadly, throughout all of human history, 
people have turned around and decided to worship, you know, the creation rather than the creator. And people look today as they read their horoscopes to the stars as if they're going to learn their future. It has nothing to do with that. <laughs> it's nothing new that people look to creation, as I said, rather than the creator who should be worshipped. In the fifth day of creation, God said, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. And God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarmed after their kind and every winged bird after its kind. And God saw that it was good and God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters of the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and morning the fifth day. So, for four days, God has been preparing the earth as a place that can sustain life. But until this day in creation, there was no life other than the vegetation. And God looked at the empty waters of the earth and the empty skies above, and he commanded that they all be filled with fish and with birds. Every kind of marine life imaginable, every kind of bird. And God specifically mentions one of those creatures, verse 21, the great sea monsters, which would be the whales probably extinct dinosaurs and other types of large sea creatures. Sad to say, sea creatures were often worshipped and greatly feared by mankind. But God is communicating through Moses to Israel and to us that he alone created these large creatures. And such diversity in everything. And I, I went into PetSmart with my granddaughter Ella yesterday, which... There's not much going on in PetSmart, i got to tell you, in the animal world. But they had a few lizards, <clears throat> a few fish. Uh, but they did have a few birds. And just the beauty of the finch and the different birds, their color beak, their color feathers. I mean, every bird that he made, so diverse, so beautiful, each having their own song. I mean, then go to marine life. That's unbelievable, the diversity. No wonder the psalmist, and I, I'm reading through the psalms now, and it's like every other psalm is a reference to God's creation. Psalm 104, O Lord, how many are your works? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your possessions. There is the sea, great and broad, in which swarms without number animals, both small and great. End of quote. So we see in verse 22 that God created them with the capacity to reproduce themselves. And this is the first time he blesses anyone or anything. This tells us that God values the animal world that he made. They are not objects of his redemption. I'm sad to say. But they are objects of his care and concern. That's why we read in Matthew where Jesus makes it clear God provides for the tiny sparrow. He knows when one falls to the ground dead. So I hope your takeaway from this first lesson leaves you in complete awe of this great and mighty and powerful God. Because God created the heavens and the earth, he is the ruler over all of that. He is the sustainer over everything he made. And our world may seem to be spinning out of control. And your life may have events that seem to be spinning out of control. But he has established his throne in the heavens and his sovereignty rules over all. That is Psalm 103.18, a verse to commit to memory. Therefore, we can trust our lives and every detail of our lives and all the unknown of our lives to this mighty and powerful creator God. He created time. He created the earth. He created everything in the heavens. He actually stepped into the time he created in order to come and redeem sinners 
like you and me. He made it possible that we can be forgiven of our sins by Jesus dying on the cross on behalf of sinners like you and I. He gave the perfect sacrifice so that we can be forgiven in a right relationship then with this mighty God. So I encourage you to enjoy the beauty of this world, even though clearly from the fall it was tainted by sin, but it's still amazing. The heavens declare his glory and his power. If we just stop and look around, look at the trees, look at the diversity in the flowers, in the insects, in the birds, in the ocean and everything in them, and, and the moon and the stars and wildlife. It's, it's unbelievable. So the question is, have you surrendered your life to this almighty, powerful God? Or are you just doing life your way? Nobody's going to tell you how to live. Well, God came as a man to make a way possible to be forgiven, put in a right relationship with the sustainer of the universe. Do you live your life in obedience to his word? Is that your priority? I hope you don't leave here unchanged because he is to be adored and in awe and worshiped by us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are so powerful and so mighty and that you care about us. Sinful, foolish people. Thank you, Lord, that you love us. Thank you for making a way possible to be forgiven, to know you in a personal way, and to be in awe of everything you have done. I pray that we would leave here worshiping you and grateful to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, ladies. We'll